know, and like, it's just not believable. So, and then after seeing that, where it clearly was an inside job or whatever, I feel like that's a pattern that we can't ignore. Yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastically interesting. That was a part of Operation Condor, which was five or six intelligence services from South America who did uh, committed sanctions. Sanctions being executions or abductions or whatever, whatever the the point of the intelligence operation, joint intelligence operation they were committing um, sanctions. And they, because there was multiple countries working together, it would be really hard to hold one country to account. The main country who needed the sanction happen. And in this, in the case of the sanction the execution of Orlando Letelier. Um, there was multiple um, countries who had been involved um, and this caused problems and Eugene Proper, who was put in charge of it was well out of his depth and that's probably why he was put in charge of it and right. he turned to Stanley Pottinger who said I'll take you to my best friend George H.W. Bush who's the director <laughs> of the CIA you don't know and they went to the they went to the CIA and it's like I mean it's it's in um, John Dingus's assassination on embassy Road yeah. this meeting and it's extraordinary extraordinary they go Eugene Proper and Stanley Pottinger uh, who's representing Justice Department still because it's 1976 uh, walks in to meet uh, George H.W. Bush and George H.W. Bush says well I can solve your problem if you can solve my problem of not being able to domestically surveil the citizens of the United States and they say so So they say okay we'll sort that out and, and Proper says yes that's a good idea and Pottinger goes back to Justice Department and writes it up and signs it into law and everybody's happy <laughs> and wait a minute, <laughs> what just happened? And that's exactly, you know, it, 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 Pottinger is essential to the Bush and the CIA using domestic surveillance on US citizens under the uh, with the excuse, oh, we need to check out this Operation Condor. You know, these guys over here, look, they're committing intelligence operations and they're the same people we put in in charge of those countries yeah okay i know that but but you know we got to watch them now because they're out of control um and and so when orlando latelia got assassinated on embassy row uh the the statements from the white house and stuff went mute very quickly and they didn't want to comment on it yeah, completely. And loads of people now don't really know it ever happened. I never knew it happened. Um, Orlando Letelier was killed. And he was a really interesting figure as well. Really interesting figure. There's a really, it's a, it's a terribly sad story. I mean, if you you, you learn it, it's, it's an actual term. But, but that's how Pottinger is like really close to the directors of CIA mm -hmm. was George Bush. Now, roll on a few years later, Pottinger leaves in 1977, does compliance officer, as works as compliance officer for Chemical Bank, which is the sixth largest bank in America at that period, and is uh, trying to uh, update policy due to the introduction of the uh, Banking Secrecy Act in 1970 that wasn't actually enforced until 1978. And so everybody's scrambling to uh, not get fined for, for, for not, not uh, meeting regulations um, and so they employ people like Stan Pottinger to find all the skeletons in their closets and bring it out and that's a very interesting fact um, and then he goes on to represent a company called Mead in a hostile takeover that they, they, they again you know the, Occidental Petroleum, uh, Dr. Armand mm -hmm. Hammer, the king of blackmail, is basically trying to do a hostile takeover of Mead. And Mead get the main man, stand <laughs> the man Pottinger in, and Pottinger fires all his guns. He's joined, um, he's created a law firm called, um, used to be Troy Malin right. Lovelace, but when, when it split up, it became Troy Malin Pottinger. And he just like goes in, 
guns blazing, winds. I mean, Occidental pull out uh, once it goes to court and there's questions behind closed doors and no one knows what was said, but basically Pottinger wins out. Um, and and lots of, like, we've, we, within the banking sector as well, Chemical Bank introduced loads of Pottinger's suggestions into their policy. So he was obviously doing a good job. By 1980, oh, <laughs> by this getting exciting, because this is where we're going now, this is where we're talking about. By 1980, he's representing Gerald V. Bull, who's uh, been caught smuggling arms to United uh, to to South Africa from South uh, to South Africa, so that they could then be used against communist Angola next door uh, successfully. May I say? And he had had 53,000 howitzers um, brought over um, and a load of other weapons. Uh, and it was all done under the direction of the CIA. But he gets caught for it. And basically, first of all, he gets let off in Canada, but he gets in trouble in America. So he's in court. And who's in? Who's going to be in charge of the case for him uh, to represent him? Well, it's got to be J. Stanley Pottinger. And that same year is a year that it's J. Stanley Pottinger will be central to Iran-Contra and smuggling weapons himself, uh -huh. doing exactly nice. the same thing. It's so beautiful. And then the connections of that include Cyrus Hashemi. And Cyrus Hashemi is connected with Adnan Khashoggi. And Adnan Khashoggi is funded at this period by Jeffrey Epstein and others. And so they're all in a group together. And at the same Yo, time... I've heard about that, that, that Israel was part of the arming Iran during the Iraq-Iran war. I always think that's amazing that like prominent people... I, I, and in yeah, and in and in South Africa, uh, South Africa, because Israel helped smuggle a load of the weapons into South Africa, and later Bull gets killed by Mossad. In I couldn't understand why. I saw that, and I didn't know what he had done wrong. Just to keep him quiet, or but it's not that they care. It seems like everybody knows. There's loads okay. of stuff that Ger Gerald Bull was a special man who who he I I see him like like um a, a, a not so well formed and not so well cooked. Elon Musk. Uh, yes, he was yes. like basically Teflon. He could he, yeah. he could he could convince people that he could create technology that they were yeah. desperately South drooling Africa for, is especially a when it comes weird down to too. yeah, weapons, rockets, and yeah. space technology makes military people yeah. wet themselves. Yeah, they're all the defense and tech people don't realize is the same thing. But now we've caught up. Now now we've got to 1980, because yeah. in 1979, of course, you've got the Iranian hostage crisis uh, for your audience. The, the, there's, you know, there's going to be, what is it, 444 yeah. days. Again, yes, there's lots yes. of fours in this. Four, I remember yeah, the guy like Terry, whatever, of, like there was one guy who got to speak, one of the hostages. I mean, it was really a big deal. I, I, like as a kid, we prayed for these people every day for over a year. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have similar like experiences in my childhood of looking back and feeling like, uh, like, uh, and you say Terry, I, I think of Terry yes. Waite, who was uh, a British uh, one who was in. I think uh, maybe was that Lebanon was the one Libya I was thinking of, but there was definitely one in the Tehran and Iran. Yeah, yeah, no, no, there, there was, there was, there was a load of right. fear around that, and it was dramatic. It was well publicized, um, and it was, you know, everybody knew that there was other things going on behind the scenes, and because it was coming up to election year, it made it crucial and critical. Um, there was uh, Jimmy Carter was obviously uh, in, in, on rocky ground and didn't think that he had uh, convinced the American people 
enough that uh, of his position. But you know, it tended to be that um, he was most likely to be the incumbent. Is most likely is he, well, the, the one who's in office, uh, however you say that, is most likely to be selected um, as president uh, for a second incumbent. term. That usually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it is incumbent. Yeah. Um, so, so it, it's a really important period because this gets turned. I mean, I think the Iran contra the the smug the gun smuggling was just every time the CIA decide to do an operation, they start off with the basics and then they do another five six operations on the side because they get all excited and say, "Oh, but look at this opportunity and look at this opportunity." Because as the first opportunity opens up, so does other things. And the first opportunity was a political opportunity. It was about being able to influence the Iranian. Uh, uh, Iranian government in some sort of way. So it was about um, uh, trying to get in touch with people. There was Carter's team were already in touch with four separate uh, or three separate channels, um, uh, two, two Swiss lawyers or something and a German lawyer and a French lawyer or whatever were all uh, in communication with people in Tehran, but they weren't going anywhere at the moment and they obviously didn't have the goods. Whatever the uh, Republicans could offer in return, the Republican, secret Republican um, uh, committee or it could offer all the... Um, I think it was just the Bush contingent. I mean, I don't mean to re- defend the Republicans or Reagan or anything, but I think like when you look at the Bushes, they are just an entity on, on themselves. It's almost like they operate outside the cabal. But it was, it, it was pretty clear that it, if you've got Bush who's the CIA director up front, that's really not good for a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like it. So they said Reagan needed to be up front. And so when you're talking about, later on in the the task force, the the October Surprise Task Force in 1992, they they said that um, uh, the Bin Sada had been sure that Pottinger uh, was representing Reagan. Hmm. That ma- was made okay. clear to them that they were representing Reagan's team. But that was not that they would. That doesn't mean they were representing right. Reagan's team. That's yeah. what they the made cover it very clear. Yeah. The, the actual meetings were people like Robert Gray and William Casey and all of these people. What would they do? They would get rewarded in different ways. William Casey would become the director of the FBI, so uh, CIA. Sorry, so would get the position that George yeah. Bush had previously had. Um, for negotiating the hostages to be held um, for a little bit longer so that they could win the election, so they could swing the election their way, and it worked. It worked a treat. And who's the center of that? Who's at the center of that? But uh, Stanley Pottinger, and that's made possible by his connection to Cyrus Hashemi. He's got $100,000 invested in one of Cyrus Hashemi's uh, banks. Um, but Cyrus Hashemi is also uh, a client of Pottinger, and gives him advice and Pottinger is the one who contacts uh, different uh, parts of uh, government and uh, to on behalf of Hashemi to put forward the proposals to try and um, make these meetings happen between um, Riza Pasendida who was the nephew of Ayatollah Khomeini um, and uh, of course these Reagan representatives and also to try and uh, pay for Mandani's, uh, General Mandani's presidential campaign. Um, and that's really interesting because the money, they, they try and give them the money to um, the Hashemis 
towards to get that's going to go to this political campaign in Iran. And they give them like, I don't know, a br- briefcase in an office and they say, no, we don't want to uh, have just the money, cash in hand. <laughs> You've got to well, send, se- send it by wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they gotta, you got to send it by a wire transfer to us um, somewhere else. And so they do that. So they send them $500,000, loads of money back then, yeah? Um, that's going to go towards Madani's uh, campaign. And there's no strings attached, the CIA say. They say no strings attached at all. But then afterwards, uh, it turns out that only 100,000 went to, uh, a projected 90 to 100,000 went towards Madani's campaign. And Hashemis had started spending bits of it. So they were like really angry. The CIA got angry and said, got to return <laughs> it all. And when it would, the rest, it wasn't all returned. It was like 290,000 got returned. So they were 120,000 or 110,000 down but when it got returned it did get returned in cash yeah. in a briefcase to the office of stanley j wow. uh, j stanley pottinger so so j stanley pottinger who did the cia's money transfer even and i think that's what uh, iran contra and the arms smuggling was was okay we will uh, of right. course it is of course it is we will give you a load of arms and do a load of cheap arms deal with you so that you could defend yourself against whatever, uh, behind the scenes, illegally, uh, breaking uh, international law, um, and you hold the hostages for a while. That's right. all you got to do. You know, that's obviously what the deal was. It worked out really well it's for so the It's so unethical. I mean, it's just, when you're talking about actually incarcerating innocent people, I mean, presuming that they really were under bad conditions and held against their will. Like, that's just crazy. They were drafted. Yeah, it's un- unbelievable. But that's what, that's, that's the whole, like, that's what power, yeah, that's definitely. how people exert power. Don't think about the, the people on the ground. We, yeah. we kind of, we're, we're already pretty positive about I feel about like it's that. a draft. Like, anyone who could justify a draft can justify like 9-11 or doing something like that. They're just drafting these people. A draft is is taking people against mm-hmm. their will for the good of whatever entity you, you represent, that taking them against their will. And that's what all of this is, the same kind of mentality, I think. And they would say, well, we did it for the good of whatever, even though that's bullshit too. It's definitely that's definitely something that I don't have in my my ethos. I don't I don't think there's a you know I I, I think I'm very uh, on the individual level, and I like people who are I I kind of like edge towards the idea li- libertarian ideas, but then I edge much more towards the leave me a yes. fuck aloneism uh, a, a lot of the time. But the problem is there then that. That's how it makes child protection uh, and protection. Actually, of women. I think this the state is not great at protecting women and children. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they don't do a good job. I think it would be better off without the state. It, but it would be a fallacy to think because the state don't do a good job that there's not a way to do a good job somehow that's outside a yes. unit. Like, you know, there, there's got to be a way that there could be a much more protect- it may productive be. method. It may be better. I will just say this. It may be better to take away the facade that someone else will help you. But on the other hand, I live in a very peaceful neighborhood and I'm, I don't know how much of that is because there's a government structure that people respect and obey or the idea of a government structure, or just because people are peaceful when they're middle class instead of poor. I don't know what the real reason is. I can't bend my brain like that. However, I would say, yes, that um, it would be best to just uh, be left alone. But yeah, I don't like to also 
like the the idea that it's Republicans and Democrats are like it seems like these guys are all just acting for their own personal benefit. Like either way, whether it's the Democrats and the sex thing in Watergate or Nixon and Watergate or Pottinger and Iran Contra or whatever, it all seems like it's uh what every man for himself. And even the Israeli thing with Mossad, like Iran, it's just so funny to me that Iran is supposed to be this big enemy. I feel like I, I almost wonder, I almost wonder, like I, the thought has definitely occurred to me that Iran is there to be the big enemy, that if they didn't have Iran, they would have absolutely no excuse to occupy every inch of land from, you know, from the mountains to the sea. It had to, they had to pick Iran just so they could fill in everything else. I think it's, it's a much more advanced and, and hidden version of the relationship, uh, a Kissinger's relationship with Pakistan and the creation of what Pakistan was meant to be as well, where behind the scenes they were helping them get like nuclear technology to, to uh, and and in, the, in public they were being really strict and being really, but they want to play a game where the, they make, uh, potential and the idea of instability in a world of limited perpetual warfare uh, instability seems scary but is never going to go right. anywhere and they know this Pakistan, so they can control it straight away geographically would also be in a great place for that just like you you're in central and middle east and that kind of thing and and had a motivation because um, when Pakistan first got created, it was East Pakistan right. and there was West Pakistan, um, and and yeah, and and there was a, a um, they lost control obviously, and they started to fear straight away for for this new country that had been created and why it had been created. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to figure out what was going on in those days, post war days. Everything there was big decisions made. And lots of regrets yeah. came with those decisions. So, so yeah, Iran was played an interesting um, puppet right. on the stage, I think, yeah. for a lot of or my lifetime, probably. And that whole, I we should we shouldn't be surprised by that because how they make the, this figure of Ayatollah Khomeini and how they make him look and this sort of evil sort of. He studied in Paris. The first one studied in Paris, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Sorbonne, I think so. Probably, I wouldn't be so, surprised. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I never yeah, could unravel um, the whole Iran thing. But my guess is Pottinger is a he's an operative well below the level of ideology or even ultimate beneficiary. Although later on, when you were mentioning a property he bought, six sixteen Island Drive or something in Palm Beach, which was. I think he spent two and a half million dollars in like 1990. So I looked up that address and it's worth over $20 million today. So that guy definitely lined his pockets one way or another. Hey, 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 hey. He had uh, it within that year for 1989, 1990, just in that uh, like a, a year between each other. They, they, um, he spent maybe, I think it was. Three hundred, three million one hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, on two properties. So that's 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 quite a bit of money to be spending at that time, and that's quite a large amount. Yeah, nowadays that's a lot of money. Where did he get all of that money from? Is a very good question because he, later on we learn that Stanley Pottinger admits to sharing a desk mm -hmm. with Jeffrey Epstein. 
while he says he was an investment banker. Now, his investment banker days were is his yeah. cover for Iran-Contra and all of that time. Now, Iran-Contra start, and his involvement in it started to be leaked out in articles in, well, came burst out in um, uh, 1984. It, literally, at that time, then, Gloria Steinem leaves him and runs off with more <laughs> So, obviously, like, she doesn't want oh, that attention. She's like, oh, I'm yeah. out of here now. Yeah, she, like, goes off sideways. Um, uh, and and it comes out that he was, uh, that the FBI had bugged Cyrus Hashemi's offices in 1980, so had listened to all of the conversations and were well aware that he was involved in all of this illegal activity. Yeah, uh, Rudy Giuliani couldn't work out whether they were going to press charges against him. Yeah, so guess what? <laughs> <laughs> didn't. He runs off to Mexico. He runs off to Mexico and hides. And uh, me and the boys from the Schism yeah. podcast, we we joke that he's uh, hiding in a sombrero <laughs> with a big, nice, big, nice, big Mexican mustache draped down. His little Chihuahua next door going, "Hey, I'm not here, yeah." Not. But anyway, yeah. Eventually, he's like in 1987. He's obviously allowed to return. Um, he knows Bush is probably going to get in uh, or going to be in power. So. He knows that his mate is still going to remain with excessive amount of power, and so he's not going to be in any trouble whatsoever. Um, and in 1987, he comes back. He gets like, these rewards where he becomes like a consultant for the Rockefeller Foundation and uh, and a lot of other things like that, and organizations for civil rights that like front up pictures of Martin Luther King on their their home pages. Yeah, it's a guy who covered. That. Oh my God, are you kidding me? The guy who covered. The the assassination of Martin Luther King and the official involvement, the actual man is now a representative of this civil rights organization. And then he's going to say, it's not only like, when you were talking about him mentioning civil rights, that's his, that's his draw, how do you say it? Uh, that's what he says when he, um, when he first introduces himself to Bradley Edwards. He's like, hey, you know, how's it doing? I know you have a load of crazy calls about this subject, Jeffrey Epstein, but I've got this civil rights thing and I do these civil rights cases and civil rights me but you know he's just like civil rights civil rights and that's his cover that's been his cover for donkey's years it's a very clever cover uh doesn't work once you realize all of the things he's done um so 1987 he's being rewarded 1989 he's obviously making this decision okay i'm gonna then retire get out of this game because it's a bit too risky go into the background and get a new cover because he obviously did other things around this time, but a new cover as a best-selling author, and I'm going to write books, work of fiction, because he's very good at creating works. Of I always fiction, think that's how they pay people off. If they can't make financial transfers, they have them write a book, and then someone somewhere buys one for every library in the world. I've I've yeah. come across a few of these guys who have written these like fictional. Obama's books and super stuff rich. Keeps sending selling it, a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he does speaking engagements. For a while there, he was being completely financed by selling a million copies of his book every year for twenty years. I'm like, who is buying this book? <laughs> Oh, you know, someone is like, uh, yeah, they're probably out there. Uh, they're probably burning. Yeah, the I old feel ones. like George Soros buys <laughs> them by the shipload <laughs> and then sinks the ships every year, every year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Well, so any, anyway, they, 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 they bad folk. They be bad folk. And he was deciding he's going to be best. <laughs> That's what he author. decided to be a and best-selling so author, up. not just an author like the rest of us. Just a yeah, best-selling yeah, yeah, author. Yeah, yeah. Well, it. 
Yeah, do you know the difference between being an author and a best-selling author is them allowing you to be on the New York Times bestsellers list and advertising you so everybody right. buys permission. your book even more. That's the difference. That's the permission. So, so that he, yeah, he knew he. I feel that he knew he was already going to get that with his first book, the Fourth Procedure, um, and he do uh, he would do uh, five or six books: uh, Fourth Procedure, Slow Burning, uh, Last Nazis, Final Procedure, and The Boss. I think they are in order. And The Boss was in two thousand and five, same year that the Jeffrey Epstein things started to unravel properly and started to turn into what we see today or what we, we, we know it to be today. Um, but but he, he went into this best-selling author lifestyle. And there's, yeah, really interesting um, connections as well during that period that we talked about. Um, like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children link is very interesting, I think, because I, I at this point, I don't know what Potting is doing. I don't understand what they're doing. Um, he, I don't think he's just an author, and it takes him a long time to write a book if he's just an author. So if he's write, t- spending um, five years to write his first book, the, uh, the, I don't, I don't believe it. There was other things he was probably doing, but yeah. So I, I, what, what I got was that he um, continued to produce books till two thousand and five. Now his son is fighting in Iraq by that time. Matt Pottinger, he's counsel on foreign relations. He's a big boy. He became deputy national security advisor yes. under Trump in two thousand and seventeen. Really, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three years. He was there until until. January 6th. Yeah, and then really super involved in the whole COVID thing. Oh, okay. Really involved in his wife too. Really involved. I mean, they're super. Say, hey, again, if anybody wants to get to most of that story, well, that's useful for me. Because I, I, a story, uh, if... I'm writing a second part of this. I know a load of things that I'd be looking to investigate if I write um, uh, another another part of this series. But anybody who writes anything in between... Did you see that he works for Michael Flynn, H.R. McMaster, and John Bolton? Did you catch that in his wiki entry, this Matt Pottinger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, look to the father. Like, you look to the parents. (laughs) Like, I'm not getting those jobs. Like, this is what happens when you can build intergenerationally on this Mm -hmm. immersion in the deep state. Interesting. But I think, and I think on this level, now we've got to talk on, on, on this stage. Well, it's like they can, he knows he's not going to be able to do the same thing his dad did. He won't be able to use cover of a civil rights. He won't be able to do this. He won't be able to do that. He has, he can be more balls right. out. So there's stories about him being raided by Chinese police while he he's living in Mandarin. China. He's trying to swallow evidence yeah. as quickly. Uh, yeah, he's trying, he's trying to swallow evidence no as quickly as possible while he's being raided. Yeah, yeah, this, uh, this is a story he tells. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> ah, you know, and it's just complete spy games. Um, and it's pretty obvious that he's spy and so he's more balls out about it um and i think that that is like something where once you're you're saying i'm a member of the council on foreign relations and this and that and the other your family's been given a membership to that next yeah there's level no hiding up, it the next at that table point. up yeah 
Um, and so, so he can He's not going to have the same um, uh, life as his father did. And like Stanley, Jay Stanley Pottinger didn't have the same life as his father did. You know, it keeps yeah. upgrade, upgrade, generation upgrade. So then that gives him safety because he gets taken out of this more dangerous loop. And by the time that that's, that uh, stuff has come to the surface, like I, I bring this out, Stanley Potting is 83, 84. I would have liked to bring it out when I was 20. That would have been a really good story. I don't think anybody would have been ready for it at all then, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but I, nowadays, people are, 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 are more open to what's happening. And uh, mo most people are working out that there's no difference between the term conspiracy theory and investigative journalism. Yeah, but it's so overwhelming. People don't even care anymore. It's like throw their hands up. But but what was interesting to me here if is that later after he became literally a best-selling author, he re-emerges with this phone call to Brad Edwards. And I just find their relationship fascinating because I thought Brad Edwards was oh, totally credible. Like when I was reading about him, I found that Virginia Roberts Gouffray um, as the main victim who came out against Jeffrey Epstein. Very interesting, very credible. And then later, like in the second wave where he goes to jail in New York, where he suicides or whatever, there was a bunch of like other victims who came out in New York. I, I wasn't as convinced by them. So when I read that you had uh, talked about Pottinger calling Brad Edwards and saying, I represent a bunch of the victims. I remember thinking that a lot of the, uh, that I suspected, I don't know about Stanley, but I suspected that some of those victims were plants to make sure they control the narrative, make it, you know, because Virginia Gouffray uh, was very credible. And I thought Brad Edwards was on the level. And now I think that these guys came in, boys and Pottinger, to play Edwards. And I thought he was being played. And then I did a little follow-up research. And now I think he was actually co-opted so i'm that's my little i mm -hmm. like sometimes to do the punchline first and then you can say fill in some of those some of the blanks there yeah it's or, or uh, it's an awesome rundown um uh, brad edwards knows where he is he knows the people he's not naive he's not stupid relentless pursuit he acts like he's like oh i don't know what's happening oh i think he's cia i think i'll just step in a little bit further i think he's still cia i'll step a little bit further in or still CIA, or just a little bit further in, he still sounds like CIA. I'm going to form a law firm with him and let him in. Literally, there's an, a Pottinger Edwards law firm, which has now morphed into something else. I don't know if you noticed that. It's mm -hmm. Part, yeah, last month, last month, things started to change. But can I just say, the people involved in this, and I, I really mean, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, I don't know if this had so, that much of an effect, but the people involved in this have known that this is coming and have known roughly the subject matter for about four or five months. They've known this has been coming. And th this should have been coming a lot earlier, a lot earlier, but my life went, was like all over the place. So it's been really hard to finish this series. And that was made harder by loads of different events in my life, loads of different events. So I, I, I do think that there's a connection between the understanding that Pottinger has a certain time, um, a date, uh, an expiry date um, before he's just too much trouble. He was brought on to control the narrative. Um, Edwards 
is way too young to have been involved in this. And that's why he's the one right in relentless pursuit and saying, oh, I don't understand what's going on. I I think they might have been the CIA, you know. But it, it seems to me that Pottinger roped him in or whatever, like baited him with this law firm. And then once established it, then he stepped out and other partners took the place. It seemed very much just from the surface that that he did succeed in co-opting Edwards. That was disappointing. This is really important to understand. Okay, Je- this is what the, the, the this is what the whole idea of the Pottinger ultimatum. Each one of these articles uh, ha- were related to the identity supremacy and ultimatum. You know, um, the identity. The first one was not only the identity of his family history, but the amnesia of his brother and all of these different things. I mean, that's a really and and seeing his time in government gives you an idea of exactly who Stanley Pottinger is and his identity and the supremacy was the peak of his career when he was really up there with the top. He was the man who controlled all of this and the ultimatum was really important because that was the ultimatum to Jeffrey Epstein that if he did nothing, then this consequences would be dire. And I try and explain this to people and the best way to explain is that if you look at how many times he assaulted underage girls in a 10-year period between 1994 and 2004 where this behavior was happening systematically. He was having 2.5 massages a day. So two to three massages a day um, off lured and groomed girls uh, mostly under the age of 18 who had been coerced into these actions. If you add it all up, you could say easily that Jeffrey Epstein, at worst possibility, once the first investigation started in 2005, was facing over 8,000 separate counts of sexual assault if everything had been known of a minor. You don't come out of jail there is no arguing a defense if you go under for 8,000 plus accounts or even, even close to 100 or 200. just does not happen. So the car, they knew it was going to break at that point and it became clear that they had to make a decision. We had to co-opt the entire team is what was in their mind, I believe. You know, we have yes. to get everybody, all sides. And the first case shows that they did exactly that. Yeah. Everybody who was involved in the first case on all sides seemed, if not completely co-opted, coerced to an extent where they had no wriggle room and they had to just walk the line. And the line led to Jeffrey Epstein having um, a perceived punishment, but in actual fact, he spent 12 months with an unlocked door and he was able to form a non-profit organization within the prison beforehand hand and work as like office office and go out and do all they of these had things. to uh either do it that way and keep that him on their side or kill him so if to the extent that he is actually dead like they had to choose that option second but i remember the guy was it antonio rodriguez the butler there was a guy who was a butler in his house oh, yeah. yeah 
I think it was Antonio Rodriguez, and he had a um, little black book, and he was so worried that he was going to get killed because he knew what was in the book, that he was trying to get rid of the book, put it in evidence so that he was, you know, killing him wouldn't have done any good. And he, instead of turning it into the FBI, he gave it to a lawyer. I don't know what lawyer, but he gave it to some lawyer. And then he went to jail for a year and a half, a real prison, worse than Epstein, for um, not giving it directly to the FBI, for giving it to a lawyer instead. And then very shortly thereafter, he died of an illness, but he had been in fear for his life. So I'm I, my point is that like they had Ken Starr, Alan Dershowitz. I mean, they had all the heavy hitters. Pottinger really is perfect for this job, boys. All in there to keep this quiet, not because they like Jeffrey Epstein or he was so powerful, but because so many other people were implicated. And as you said, which is super funny, was that, you know, if I wanted to keep a low profile, I probably shouldn't have invited Clinton onto the jet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's, it's really simple. It's a real simple uh, out, outlook. He had he had believed that he had powerful enough friends, but there was something else that people don't like. The reason why he wasn't killed in two thousand five, six, seven, is not because of him. It's not because of his family. It's not because of his dynasty. It's not because of all of that. It's all about Maxwell. It's all about Maxwell. You cannot get rid of Ghislaine Maxwell. Her brothers and sisters are the tentacles of the octopus. Yes. <laughs> you know, they are so deeply interwoven into multiple intelligence communities across many nations. And they have made themselves that they have backdoors everywhere, I'm sure, because that's exactly what uh, Robert Maxwell was always trying to do in his Oh, that Promise continued. Software. Uh, the Promise Software, which put backdoors yeah, yeah. in every intelligence agency that bought it in the world. I mean, they could still have the keys to that kingdom. And I think six Mossad agents were at his supposed funeral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is what? Which one is funeral in the uh, Mount of Olives or whatever? You I know, don't believe it, any it, of them it, are it, dead or they're all dead. But I don't even think Ghislaine Maxwell was ever in jail. Like every picture I ever saw of her was highly dated. And then they just did cartoons or something really distorted. Like, I don't I don't even buy that. Yeah, I have I have a hard time believing that they punish certain people, especially not Ghislaine Maxwell, because Ghislaine Maxwell, like I say, she's too dangerous. Yeah, they'll kill them, um, and I think that's or what they kept... keep them happy, but yeah, you're not yeah. keeping them in jail. <laughs> you're not gonna. You're, you're not. Ki I I mean, to kill Ghislaine Maxwell would be really dangerous. Oh, I stuff. should say. I yeah. think it's really dangerous. I, I just think that, that she is yeah, siblings. Uh, protected to a level that, yeah, or siblings, but those siblings then have loads of connections. I have loads of connections. I have loads of connections. It's just, it's an it, it immense, they, they, the family network, what Robert Maxwell created was industrial um, sabotage and espionage um, of nearly every, every available intelligence system so that they knew everything. And they would become a dynastical family one of the many, they would be aligned eventually with people like the Kennedys because that's what he, he wanted to have that sort of stature, that sort of, you know, rags to riches story. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that to, by 2005, they knew it was going, it was heading down to the point where um, this was all going to kick off. That, but Epstein doesn't care about what people think. So the, the, 
all the preconceptions I think a lot of uh, the majority of people have the majority of people have this a bundle of preconceptions about Epstein and assume that he would have cared that he was being accused of all of these crimes and that he was being called all these names online and all of these sort of things. But these guys work where all of the people who matter don't give a shit about that stuff, don't go online, don't have social media. They're the ones who own the social media and get all these other people to be online so that they, you know, they can control them and Even manipulate like them how Trump they want. And stuff. So they're right they don't, the I, I figured this out a long time ago, they don't mind playing the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And the playing the villain, I mean, I explained this a fair few times on the World Economic Forum stuff. You know, they feed off that energy. They they up on the hillside in Davos looking down in the Tower of Gold and they're like, yes, we are powerful. And these people hate us because yeah. they see our power. And that feeds their totally. power and that's what they need. That's the loop. As they fear, as they generate fear and publicity, of course, no publicity is bad publicity. It actually, I think the most important thing is that it keeps the people, one, under them, the people who probably actually do have more access to the levers of power, CEOs of global corporations and stuff, in thrall of the, you know, Klaus has probably no real power at all. It's just the perception of the people who are under him. And we do feed that in a really real way, not just energy, but like an actual power. Most definitely, and and I think some people because I did like really good uh, like the the my my previous seminal pieces um, were were the Schwab like uh, trilogy ended up being uh, four parts, even though the fourth is a, a little less related. Um, People, I think, they think that I would be sad by the idea that Klaus Schwab isn't an all-powerful person, seeing as I've put in so much effort. But I put in so much effort to kind of reveal that, to help reveal the fact that Klaus Schwab is just creating the infrastructure that then gets put in place for all of the guys to get involved and have a place within the system. And that's a really important part of the system, but it's not the top of the system. And it's it's a part that can be replaced by somebody else once new technology is is found it can be replaced by uh, um, an algorithm so do you think uh this is like a general question i kind of ask everyone what do you think is the true nature of power on earth and in the universe <laughs> i mean isn't that what we really want to know um, oh wow my belief is that, ev- or, or my my understanding, or what I I, I kind of get a gist of, because I don't think we we can answer any of these questions, so it's all gist at this point. Um, is that that we are a simulation on the 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 simulation all the way down, and that um, with within it, um, we're lost in this this, really? this sort of like puzzle that is so obvious and all of these same things keep happening and repeating and these cycles we get and we can't see cycles and we can don't like each generation seems to be blind to what they're doing and each individual seems to be blind of the same cycle they're on and we all seem to be like the indistinguishable from zeros and ones to an extent um if you like just look at everything it could all be like i i, I feel that the whole of it could just be an illusion. I don't know if it's based in your head or my head or everybody's head. But yeah, if I was to go to the base level of what I believe, it's like the only thing that makes sense is that it's like if if you run through what humans will do to understand what we'll do, 
Yeah. So what were actions we will take to understand our future uh, actions? Yeah, yes. Um, is to create yep. uh, computers Praxeology, that will run practice. simulations to tell us. Um, and we'll keep doing that over and 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 over again until uh, simulations are so complex, they're indistinguishable from reality. And that, I believe, could be exactly where we are. Because if you follow that idea down that will just keep repeating over and over again until that's the only option that's how i feel um so where true power is is people who can um realize again all of this leads to the same place so even if you're religious if you're learning um some of the most spiritual teachings around it all comes to the same conclusion as what you would come to if you think it's simulations all the way down which is okay so nothing really matters you know you don't have to worry too much, um, but what we do, that f the feeling and the, the interaction we have with it personally, we should make that as best as we possibly can and do the best for each other. And it all leads down to the same thing. We should help each other out, be nice to each other, try and live a best life, and and just let your worry. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Like whether you're Catholic or yogic, it's always like free yourself from desire, treat each other with that respect, see that divine spark in other human beings. But it, so it doesn't make a difference whether it's simulations all the way down or whether it's some um, a hog in the sky smoking, uh, like a boar in the sky smoking with a, with a, a, a deity behind that is unknowing <laughs> of the actual situation that's happening behind the scenes. Whether it's one or t one or t'other, it, it's like um, irrelevant. You, We can't do anything. We are a cog in a massive machine, a natural machine, right. and we, we have certain choices we can make, and we should really enjoy uh, the selection and range of choices we have, because if they were taken away from us, we'd be really sad. So we have the ability to attain happiness by, and attaining yeah. happiness can only be done by not worrying and not taking on, I mean, as soon as you allow someone to make you worry and make you concerned, it builds up and it builds up. And so you've got to learn and control that desire. Every single sort of way of looking at the world leads you to that. Well, anxiety is definitely making the world go around right now. I mean, the level of anxiety that's being pushed through these screens from lockdown to like teenagers. I mean, everybody I know. I mean, I know a kid is severely handicapped and the mom is like, he just suffers from anxiety. I was like, oh, my gosh, that poor kid. He really doesn't ever have to get a job or anything. How he has not. Nobody has expectations of him. They love him for who he is, and which is, you know, very kind of, uh, you know, far from center. And he's just riddled with anxiety. It's the craziest thing. And then everybody has to be on drugs and whatever. So you're right. That is within our power. But um, talk about getting you off point. So what, as we wrap up, what did I gloss over that you want to drive home? What's really important to understand is that if you, what was really being good about writing the Pottinger piece is it's allowed me to um, analyze certain moments in history that I had been too lazy to analyze. And once I had looked into them, I realized they weren't as complicated as they first appeared to be. And once I had all of the answers, it made much more sense. And that keeps happening over and over again. The more you learn, the more sense it makes. And it's, you know, there's, a, there's a, the art of going yes. down the rabbit hole, discovering things. That isn't only for me. There is a load of people who, even in this Pottinger article, have gone on this journey with me in loads of different ways. I've had a group of people who have supported me, and I've had groups of people 
who have been antagonistic, hateful, and angry towards me. And I know where the love lies. I can see where the love lies. So whatever you're doing, whether it's writing articles or whether it's doing anything else, you'll know where positivity is. You know where where goodness is. And you know the places where they come from. And, and as soon as you test the water with something, a subject or somebody, and you feel hate come back, you know it's not true. You know there's something not true there. Um, so use your logical mind, investigate, go deep into this sort of stuff. I mean, for, for the Epstein case, there's so many rabbit holes to go down to, and that's what's really important. You learn all of this, these different facts that happened, and what you'll do is start to understand other things, and maybe you'll come across something that no one else has discovered, and, and uh, we've all got to do this. We've all got to make an effort it's not just up to me it's up to everybody to do something to start changing this now because it's so far they're so far ahead well two things one is i actually think biography is a fantastic way to give a kind of a narrative a plot over time and bring in pieces of history yes it's not a comprehensive this is what happened in the 60s and this is what's happening now but as you follow this guy's life i mean i i found like some of the little references like a jimmy carter clip or a gloria steinem clip it really brought me back to the 70s and helped me understand stuff that you know just i mean that was a little bit before my time but like that uh you just it didn't mean anything to me in, and it was episodic as it was unfolding. And now you kind of see the thread and where this guy goes from, you know, some of these people who were weather underground or whatever and now are college professors. Like it's really crazy when you look at it over time, but in the context of a person, um, it gives you a way to tell a story and, and a lot of people can do it in parallel, like you're saying. And also one thing that I really think is a tremendous service and what I really like about your articles is that what, so, I mean, 99% of it, I would say, are facts that are in evidence, totally documented, mainstream stuff. People are not going to dispute it. And your, if you interject a conclusion mm-hmm. or connect dots or a speculation, it's, it's rare and it's, it's clear. Like you've made the case. You're not even saying like, so I know. You're just like, it seems obvious to me. They got, why, why did Brad Edwards not see it? it was pretty obvious. So I really like that. And I feel like it's a, it's a great service just to put those those facts in a place where we can get at them because the research that you do, you know, I just have not, I really cannot recreate that in the, in this age of like where the internet's really been buttoned up. It's, it's just, I just don't have the time. I have to say that I, I'm, and I don't want to be like, cause I, I'm not, um, a religious chappy. I'm, I, I'm spiritual to an extent. Um, but I do believe that there's a whole thing laying out in front of me that there's for years now I've been walking a path and I knew I got on, I got on, uh, I made a decision. Everybody gets to make a decision whether they stay unhappy about their life and what they're doing and where they are or whether they get on the wave and then trust and hope and do the right thing and hope that brings you forward. And I think I've been on that wave for ages and I've had, I've, I've had like moments where I feel like I'm led, I'm led led to uh, something that will give me some sort of evidence or some sort of clue. But I've had to get up to do that. And I've had to go out and do that. And and it is a load of work to find all of these, this information and then put it down. But all I am doing 
All I'm doing is exactly what you say. I don't want, you know, I, I spend two days getting rid of all my emotion about a subject, you know, really two days laughing and being like, <laughs> I got you now. Oh, look at this and this as well. <laughs> you know, that all goes out the window eventually. And I just like within a couple of days, now even quicker, and I become stoic about it. I'm like, I want to not leave anything out. I don't want to leave like weigh it too down or too much with in one area. I want to put down all of the facts sourced up in chronological order and let other people make up their mind to what's going on because it's likely to be other people who can explain this to me. It would be great hubris to under to say that I understand everything at play and I don't. I know that sometimes I've put forward information and then someone says, "Oh, you know what this means? It means this." And I go, "Oh, god, of course." The artist course. is not the best critic. Yeah, so so I'm in a place where I've, I I used to say at the start, I used to try and say, you know, I to peel away the top layer and let ever, everybody else then can go underneath it and start to look at the other things. And yes, I do that, but I think there's uh, it's 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 different than that. We, we're all in a situation now where we're pressurized that we all have to be a part of this in some way. Like we all got to be a part of this in some way. So I'm I'm just like walking the path, and the the, the thing I'm trying to do is not. Not insert myself into the articles because I, I you know, every time I've done that uh, in the when I first started writing, every time that it was me heavy in an article, my yeah. opinion all over the place, no one was interested at all. Oh, because, really? Yeah, but it, of course, of course, no one would be interested. Why would they be interested in someone saying, and I think this, and yeah. I think that? Because you can go into right. the park and listen to uh, 10 different people give you yeah. 10 different conclusions about all of these things. You have to, you, uh, to, to make people understand what's going on, you have to give yourself the knowledge and other people the knowledge and then have the conversation so that's what these articles are they're facts they're put down in chronological order and then we can talk about what that means together and i come to my own conclusions but you don't have to come to my conclusion all of the readers can come to their own conclusion and so i, I thank you for saying that but it is something that i purposely try and do is say stoically this is what's happened um and uh at the very end I feel a little bit like it might be this, but it's right. up to you. Yeah, that's true, because I did interject some of my conclusions about Edwards. And I mean, once I looked it up, I was like, potting our Edwards? Seriously? Like, that just, that was okay. But you didn't, you didn't like nail that, uh, like, didn't beat that with, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even really fully understand that they actually joined forces. But I really appreciate that you're, uh, you know, I can be a part of this journey in one tiny way. And uh, I really love great research. I really love that format of just, you know, just the facts. So anytime you bring anything like that, I will always be a platform for you if you have the time for me. And could you please tell people the best way for them to find your stuff and to support you? Because you do, you have, uh, you're on a lot of different places, but I was looking at this at newspace.com. Um, and I was listening to the, uh, with the schism, your, um, interviews there, which is also on newspaper. But what do you like and how do you, how can we help? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I need support right now. I've now, I, I always said I want to build up a body of work before I actually ask for support. And that's the past like two months is where I've put down the infrastructure to say, okay, now I definitely need support because otherwise my, my, my life goes spirals. And 
I, I know what that. I, I be honest. I'd be. I have less output, but I would still. Before um, I was doing this full time, I was uh, sitting on a reception desk uh, in a two star hotel, um, bringing people towels and then writing articles in between and researching in between. So I will do this wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. And if you want to support me, please go to newspaste.com. So that's I'm I've uh, a site I've uh, created. A, I want it to be more than what it is right now um but you'll see there's loads of stuff in there i do loads of shows i do a podcast i i I try and give as much of myself out um and i try and be as interactive as possible you can find uh the support section at the top of newspaste.com and there you will uh, find a selection of ways to support me including patreon buy me a coffee simple things like that i love buy me a coffee i love the idea because the way I think of it is that we are sitting here chatting and I'd be so delighted to have this conversation with you over a coffee and it would mm-hmm. definitely be my treat. So um, I just love that idea. It really brings home what we're doing here. And I just, I, I encourage people. For some people who buy me a coffee, I will be sitting, uh, having a coffee, <laughs> working really hard at the yes. coffee shop with yeah, my dog sure. next to me and 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 I I will be doing that you know I am I dedicated my life to this stuff so please support but newspaste is my number one base at the moment and Great. at johnnyvedmore.com you can find uh lots of the links of my previous articles on the drop down menu but yeah I, I always try and update there I'm on YouTube I'm on Rumble I'm on Rockfin I prefer Rockfin Rockfin has a good tipping feature so if you want to tip via Rockfin you can do um and I I produce loads of content nowadays i'm producing everything so please get involved if you can support me i love it but that support can also be in other ways if you uh, like have an interest or a certain area that i've sparked or i've said something and you say oh i'm interested in this part of watergate or i'm interested in this like tell me what you're interested in maybe we can find a way to do something because people who contact me find that yeah, i do the contact research them back and, and then have, maybe have guest a, post yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But not only that is that the, I mean, I I'm looking for help, and I'm looking for, I, and also I could potentially help others. So there's like a two way street. It's a, it's going to be a nice big circle, and I thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I know you've talked about this with other people, and I just I like to get my own take, and I like to exchange ideas. I like to read the stuff myself. So I appreciate you taking the extra time to come on this show. I'm going to ask you to hang on um, while I play the outro, so that your audio uploads because it's a separate track. So um, thank you so much, Johnny Vedmore. It has been so fun talking to you. So interesting. I was looking forward to it for such a long time. Thank you all for listening. This has been Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Mm-hmm.